0: Welcome to episode seven of the Connections podcast. I'm Giles Hegarty and I'm joined as always by Max Brown. Hi Max.
1: Evening Giles, how are you? I'm
0: very well, thank you. Recovered from your examinations last week?
1: Yeah mate, um, yeah got through them just about so feeling a bit uh, bit better this week.
0: Good and some rugby this week coming up?
1: Yeah got a game on Wednesday, um, yeah playing Leeds at home, should be Great. good fun.
0: All right well the very best of luck for, for that. Firstly, uh, a massive thank you to all our listeners who uh, have downloaded our episode with Stuart Lancaster. We, I mean, we thought it would be popular, uh, but it's been overwhelming the number of people that have taken the time to listen and also the feedback that we've received. So a big thank you to Stuart once again and, and also to, to everybody who has taken the time to listen and also get in touch with us. Um, off the back of that, uh, one of the things that really leapt out from uh, from some of the stuff that Stuart said was shut up and uh, and move on and Max has pulled an absolute blinder and managed to get us uh, Professor Paul McGee who is better known as uh, as the sumo guy so Paul thank you so much for joining us today we appreciate you're you're a busy man Um, if we could start then tell us a little bit about about being a professor.
2: Yeah oh yeah thanks very much uh, Giles and Max Uh, yeah I was um for a guy who struggled at school to end up a few years later, when I say a few years later, probably over 40 odd years later, becoming a professor. But let let's let's get my confession out on the table straight away. I'm a visiting professor at the University of Chester. And some would say, and you don't visit very often, do you? And secondly, someone said to me recently, what are you a professor in? Common sense. I went, thanks for your feedback, Mum. I was hoping you'd be proud. But yeah, so I'm a, a visiting professor. At the University of Chester, I mean, my background is in psychology and one thing or another. But I got that title a couple of years ago, and it's uh, yeah, it's stunned a lot of people, including myself, because I'm not 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 trying to quote academic papers left, right, and centre at people. I'm trying to keep things fairly simple, straightforward, and down to earth.
0: Sure, and, and you you are an author and a motivational speaker and, and a coach as well, um, yep. and you have you have coined this phrase or this word sumo. Um, do you want to just give us a little bit of a background as to you said you, you've got a background in psychology as to where how you've ended up and where you are now?
2: Sure. So my background, yeah, is in in psychology, and I ended up getting um, a, a graduate trainee position with a big multinational, Unilever. Uh, they placed me on their company's bird's eye walls, and uh, within twelve months of joining them, I I lost my job through ill health, which wasn't on the card. So I became ill with an illness called ME or myalgic encephalomyelitis, or chronic fatigue syndrome, or as the Daily Mail liked to call it at the time, yuppie flu. So I went from being high-flying graduate management trainee with like all the kudos that go to that, to then being on what he then called invalidity benefit, and I survived on £35 pound a fortnight. That was many, many years ago, so £35 probably went a bit further than it does now, and um, it was, it has me say, guys, a little bit of a challenge, but what it did open a door to is someone lent me a set of, and this ages me now, audio cassette tapes by a guy called Richard Denny. It was mainly around sales, but within it, and I'll paraphrase this quote, he said, within every adversity, there is a seed of equal or greater opportunity. And there I am, I've got a walking stick. The only person I know with the illness is in a wheelchair, but that within every adversity is a seed of equal or greater opportunity. It planted a seed, I guess, of maybe something good can come from this. And it did, not overnight, but after about three years of being ill, I got to the point where I thought maybe I could work maybe part time. No one would hire me because I couldn't pass a medical. So what I did over 30 years ago, before you two were born, I hired myself, i was been amazing at the interview, standout candidate, um, passed my own medical. And, and, and fast forward a few years, and yeah, I've written 13 books, spoken in quite a few countries. And I came across the phrase sumo when I was running a workshop in Glasgow many, many years ago. And it was just, I was a coaching and counselling skills course. And someone said, and apologies if you're Scottish, but if all else fails, you can always tell them to shut up and move on. And, and people laughed in the group and I said what does that mean and it kind of just said it means you know sumo shut up, move on and from there it kind of evolved and became an umbrella term to describe a set of my principles and ideas that I've been collating over 30 years so that's a brief history of me and how I became known as a sumo guy. There's a lot more detail I could give you, but I've been speaking nonstop for over four minutes, so I'll shut up and move on.
0: One of the things that that I think I've experienced with that idea of shut up and move on is um, almost misunderstanding it because yeah. it, it, it'd be very easy to say, oh, shut up, move on, just you know, suck it up. And yeah, I th- you know, totally. We live in a society where quite often it is just suck it up. You know I I have this thing where I'll always say, Oh, yeah, you're right, yeah, I'm good to go. Because you've just got to get on with it. But that I think I'm right in saying that's not what this is about.
2: It's it's a double-edged sword because what you're gonna appreciate is I am in a space where there's a lot of motivational type speakers who've climbed Everest, uh, coached England rugby teams to World Cup success, traveled well, round the world single-handedly, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And you've got this non-celebrity guy who hasn't got a gold medal or a picture of me on Mount Everest, how do I stand out? And so sumo, the sumo guy, it does uh, arouse a sense of curiosity within people. You know, what's that about? And then I go, shut up and move on. Some people love it and some people get, as you rightly said, go, oh, that sounds a little bit aggressive. And so what I mentioned in the book and in all my talks, what I really mean by the shut up bit is shh, for a moment get off autopilot, do some stopping thinking and reflecting, press pause because we can have manic minds if we're not careful. And I want people to almost like to literally take some time out and then having done that, move on. But just for the benefit of your listeners as well is we do a lot of work in education. And at the end of the day, no matter how painstakingly I explain that it wasn't as aggressive as it might sound, There was a real love for my ideas and principles, but not for the overriding umbrella term, shut up and move on, because of how it could be interpreted. So we have an alternative definition, which is stop, understand, move on. And and some people, that second definition fits a little bit more comfortably with them. But you're right, it's not meant to be, should move on. Although, can I just say, there are times in life when I do need to say to myself, not to anyone else, but maybe to myself,
1: Paul, mate, it's time to sumo. Shut up and move on. What um, I think the the concept of it is awesome, and that stop, understand, move on is probably a bit bit of a softer term to you for yes, some people. Yes, it is. But um, you've mentioned those principles that you talk about. What could you kind of elaborate on those? Kind of what are the best kind of applications of those principles in life situations? Are there certain situations where they best apply to? Um, yeah
2: yeah max for me when people say well what really is sumo about it's about it's about addressing three questions that we all deeply and dearly need the answer to but we actually don't consciously and intentionally often ask ourselves question number one how do i get the best out of myself question number two how do i get the best out of others question number three how do i get the best out of life We all deep down want answers to those questions and we strive for them and we listen to podcasts and we we can frame them in in lots of different ways. But ultimately, I want to know how can I do well in life and how can I get the best out of Paul McGee? Not when it's sunny and life's going brilliantly and I've just signed a new book deal, but when I've lost out on a piece of business, when it's wet, it's cold, and and actually I'm struggling with lots of different issues, how can I still get the best out of myself? What about relationships? We say money makes the world go round. No, it doesn't. Relationships make the world go round. Biggest source of joy in your life comes from your relationships. Biggest source of pain in your life comes from your relationships. So how do I get the best out of others? Whether that's my colleagues, my clients, my customers, my partner, my kids. That's a really important question as well. And the third one is to say, how do you get the best out of life? Someone said, you know, life at its longest is still fairly short. So how can we make, maximize our opportunity on this planet? So when you say in what situations can sumo help? Well, if you kind of still breathing, then there's probably going to be a situation where sumo is really relevant.
0: Uh, do you think there are situations where
2: it, it doesn't work? no if you wanted a short brief answer the answer is no everything's about being contextualized so let's be honest um if i'm speaking at an event and every one of my audience is aged about 21 and life has just been amazing and they've never had any hardship and they've never had any challenges they have never had any setbacks then i still think people will enjoy me and they'll, they'll, they'll like my, interta- hopefully my entertaining, engaging way I present my ideas, and they'll smile at times, and they'll go, oh, that's good, that's good, but it kind of almost like reaches them a surface level, because it's like they've not maybe had that life experience, but if you've got someone who has kind of been around the block a little bit, and you could have done that even if you're in your early 20s, you've had a setback, so let's say, for instance, it could be a young sports person, I've done work with Manchester City for over 10 years, and let's say that they're 18, 19, whatever, and they've got an injury that's going to that's gonna, um, you know end their career. Well, do you know what? When I start speaking or if they start reading my book, they're reading it in a very different way or listening to me in a very different way than if life's just been a total dream. So it's relevant for everyone and you don't have to have had a major setback in life to appreciate it. But if you find... Relationships an issue. If you sometimes find recovering from setbacks and being more resilient a bit of an issue. If you find at times there are conversations going on in your head that you wish you could either switch off or make more constructive and kinder, then I think you'll find my ideas useful. You've you've spent you
0: said thirty years working on this on this principle. Yeah. As time has gone on, has the has the audience changed? Has the, has your pitch to the audience changed? I know you sort of touched on this a moment ago when you were saying about the different nature of the audience. And the reason I asked that question is because working in an an elite sporting environment, whether it be with Academy or, or higher up, we know that they have that Rocky road, those bumps in the road that can come along working in business. um, We live in a world now where, you know, there is some questions around resilience in, in, in the young, in young people. Um, yeah. I, and I just wondered whether there has, you have seen a sea, a sea change in, in who's coming to listen or, or how you've had to approach things.
2: I, think I would argue Giles that I have actually. Yes. I think mean, when I was, you know, I started to, I mean, in that, so 30 years, you go back 30 years, it'll be, um, it'll be actually 31 years in March. Um, and so i started my bit i signed off in validity benefit in 1991 here's what the world wasn't talking about in 1991 resilience well-being mental health emotional well-being none of those things were talked about we did talk about stress a fair bit and time management and so i actually in some respects had to You know, motivation was seen as very much a space operated for uh, operated by the Americans. And you might be if you're in sales, then you might want a bit of motivation. But as time went on and I didn't try and label myself a motivational speaker anyway, I just but that's what people called me. I found that lots of people who were in education and then in the NHS. And when I was particularly saying a lot of my ideas can help you manage change well. People start to become more receptive. what I found is my book sumo, which came out in two thousand and five again we, we we didn't have twitter we didn't youtube had been registered as a domain name but no youtube but the, well had it been registered no I don't think it'd even been registered there was there was no instagram uh, Facebook had just got started but you can only access it I think on a on a, on a on a computer. The world's changed so much, and now we're in a place where people do want to access this, not because they're into, you know, they're in sales, but they're just doing life. And actually maybe saying you're into personal development or self-help is not seen as a quirky, weird thing to do anymore. I remember hearing, um, I think it was Dan Carter, the former all-black rugby player saying that when the all-blacks first hired a sports psychologist to work with them, it was seen as a bit weird If you wanted time with a sports psychologist he said if you're playing with us now it would seem a bit weird if you didn't want time with a sports psychologist and for me i'm seeing when i get i work a lot in in house if you like with an organization they hire me in other words you're in the audience not because you wanted to hear me speak but because you work with that company but a week ago i was invited by a a, an accountant to speak at an event and he brought or invited his clients and he's got a wide range of clients what really surprised me in a pleasant way is um the amount of young men who gave up a monday evening to turn up on not a particularly pleasant evening to hear some of the ideas i was talking about and so i'm finding that there's more receptivity And I used to find women were quite into hearing about personal development and their mindset, but I'm finding men, particularly from a non-sales background are now going, I need to understand this a bit more because it helps me not just deal with if I'm in sport, but if I'm just in life. I think there is a hunger that perhaps wasn't there a few years ago.
1: Yeah, I think that development's awesome. I can see it kind of at uni loads of like young guys are kind of getting into their kind of their mental health and learning how to look after themselves a lot better. Um, And that that resilience and that kind of, as you were talking about earlier, challenging yourself and turning like uh, adversity into opportunity. I think that's Mm. becoming more of a thing, especially in my generation. Um, One of the things I really wanted to touch on was you kind of, I've seen a few videos and in your books, you've talked about how sumo can be applied to an analogy of like a continuum zero like zero being nothing like you're cruising yeah. and 10 being death yeah and you're placing things on there and i completely understand where sumo can come in in kind of twos and threes like it might be late to something and you might it's just small stuff that doesn't really matter um but when you get to those eights and nines where it's long term and really it's, it's really deep stuff in your life that can impact you kind of how can you apply sumo to that um, in those like really hard kind of situations
2: what you're referring to max is actually one of my sumo principles or tools which i call develop fruity thinking so we talk about fruit being good for the body but i'm talking about being more fruity or fruitful in our thinking and what i say is that sometimes in our head we get into conversations into what i call faulty thinking um so we listen to our inner critic or we get stuck in a bit of a broken record we play trivial pursuits we make a mountain out of a molehill and so you're right i say look in certain situations here's some good questions to ask yourself now there's a variety of questions i ask myself including what can i learn from this is my response appropriate effective how can i influence and improve but one thing i challenge a lot of people to do and we'll get to your to your, your ultimate question is because people might be going, well, this continuum zero to ten. What do you mean? So I'm just trying to contextualize it. I think at times we 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 get hijacked by our primitive emotional brain and we overreact to situations. And something on a scale of one to ten, where 10's death, it's a one, and we're reacting like it's an eight or a nine. So just so people are clear, I'm trying to help people understand that we sometimes get distracted by the petty and it takes us away from our purpose and so that first idea on a scale of one to ten or how important it will be in six months time is all about getting a sense of perspective now when i actually use that exercise i get people to think of an issue going on in their world but what i often will say max is all right think of an issue or a challenge not a personal tragedy so you're not trying to think immediately of a, a nine or a or a 10. So that's just to kind of like be clear on what I mean by that particular question and then the context. When you do have, if you were to look at an issue in your life and go, this is a flipping eight, this is an eight, this is really tough, then it's like you don't cut the hedge with a lawnmower. So I'm not trying to say, here's Sumo, and it's always going to answer your, no, no it's a set of tools. And so certain tools are appropriate in certain situations, but not in others. So if you're going through some major, major struggles, you have got some major, major mental health issues or you're struggling with depression. I say to people, look, if you've got some real big stuff going on in your life, the three T's could help you. The first T is you may need some kind of treatment. So clearly, if you've broken your ankle, that ankle needs to be treated. But let's say you're suffering from some major mental health issue, gone through some major trauma, then you might need some kind of treatment, okay? Second, and that's not where sumo comes in. So we need to be clear on what can help and what doesn't help. Second T is sometimes you've gone through some real big stuff. You might need some kind of therapeutic intervention. You might need to see someone who is a psychotherapist, whatever. Um, cognitive behavioural therapist. And you've got to really work through certain issues. The third T is you've got some stuff going on in your life. And actually, you don't necessarily need treatment, you don't necessarily need therapy, but you do need some tools to know how to best deal with some of the issues going on in your life right now. And I think the SUMO approach, comes in at that third level. It's giving you life tools. It's not saying if you've been, you know, had some major trauma as a child, read my book, it's gonna solve your problems. So I wanna kind of be clear on what Sumo is and what it isn't, and it doesn't pretend to be a replacement for treatment or therapy. It's just saying life's a bit of a roller coaster. It's a bit like playing a game of snakes and ladders what do you do when you land on a couple of snakes? You know, do you quit the game and go home? It's not fair. Or do you apply some of the ideas in my book and on my, on my YouTube channel to think, okay, maybe I can stay in the game and come up with some ideas and strategies that will help me forward. So does that answer your question, Max, would you say?
1: Yeah, definitely. Kind of, I think those three T's are, that's pretty powerful. Um, I think if you can kind of equip yourself with not just sumo as a tool, but kind of we spoke with um, Stuart last week about the three kind of glass ball analogy, one, your life, one, your work, and then one, you, and if you can, that tool probably helps you juggle those quite nicely.
2: Yeah, sure. So I just think people need to appreciate is the, you know, that cliche horses for courses or don't cut the hedge with a the lawnmower. The lawnmower is a great tool, but it's not for certain situations. And I want, what I wanted to do is just not tell people what to do in life, but I want to, I suppose, enlighten people. And what I mean by that is get them to stop and think, enlighten them, realise that, you know, sumo was a word in Latin means to choose. And as my friend uh, Drew Povey, a leadership speaker, says, Paul, every day is a choose day, C-H-O-O-S-E. And just helping people to understand and enlighten them about you've got some choices here in life. And if you get off autopilot and doing some shutting up and, get, and stop and understand, you might weigh up and real, become a bit more enlightened around the choices you've got. The second thing I do with sumo, so we have had your three T's, you're getting your three E's now, we can cope with this. We've got a bit of ET going on here, or TE. Um, the second E is. I kind of want to therefore equip people. So, all right, I know I want to change my life in certain ways or improve my life, but and you've enlightened me about understanding myself and other people a bit better, but now what, what are my tools? Well, I'm going to equip you with some tools and insights. But the third E is about empowering people. I, I do some coaching, and, and I don't actually want my coachees, if you like, to want to have loads of book loads of sessions with me because I don't want them to become dependent on me. I want to empower them with the, you know, and enlighten them and equip them to say, you can start to sort this out for yourself. Yes. I'll support and guide you for a while, but I would actually argue if you're still needing to see me in a year's time, I don't know whether I've done a great job, Because I don't want you to become dependent on me. I don't want to be this guru that people go, oh, yeah, Paul McGee's my guru. Someone said to me, Sumo's my Bible. Well, great. But actually, I'm just about helping you to be better at being you. That's what I'm really about. And I want to, yeah, enlighten, equip and and empower, not you become dependent on every word I've got to say. It's funny,
0: we, we live in a world now where people can fall down that rabbit hole, particularly on you know Instagram, social media, people will they, they see the influences and they're like I want to be that person without and and it takes their choices away. Um, you know listening to that there, it is it is powerful to think we have got that choice, and we do struggle so often to see the wood for the trees, particularly when we are, you know, I'm a catastrophizer. When things go, you know, things start wobbling a little bit. I'm like, oh my god, my world's going to fall apart. And you do need to be able to step back or have someone that says to you, "Hold on a second, you need to just just take a minute and have a look at it." Um,
2: Yeah, we've got. I mean, I say the most besides God, if you believe in God, the most important person we're going to talk to is yourself. And and sometimes the way you talk to yourself, and I think we can all relate to that, probably to some degree. We catastrophize. We make mountains out of molehills. Play trivial pursuits. We, we we listen too much to our critic or we get stuck in the same narrative, the same story, become a broken record. And, and what I want people to do is to say, I want you to stop and understand it's not just you. We all can experience that at times. But now let's move on and think when that next happens, when you become aware, Giles, that you are catastrophizing, let's try and be aware of that. And then let's think, how can we overcome it? One of the biggest strategies and the most unhelpful strategy, I think, ultimately, to dealing with anxiety is avoidance. And we think if I avoid anxiety, then then life's good. But I do presentation coaching and I work with various sports people and um, various professionals from all different sectors, including politicians. And I was with someone last week and they just said, My whole career i could have made so much more of it if i just had the courage to stand up and and present but i get anxious when i've got to present and so i keep avoiding doing it so again life is about saying you're not the only one who's going through that but let's get you a bit out of your comfort zone let's acknowledge that you will at times feel uncomfortable in certain situations and that's okay and i or other people can be there to encourage you um and equip you to kind of face up to some of those things, but then to empower you to say, all right, you're over this now. You've got the strategies to help you moving forward. You don't always need to keep relying on other people for support all the time. You're always gonna need a bit of support, but learn how to support yourself as well. It's
0: the same with, with those challenging conversations in real life, I suppose. We are, too often, we avoid those because we're worried about whether we're going to offend someone or whether we can be honest and and that anxiety can build up and all of a sudden things have gone too far and you can't have that conversation anymore without creating yeah. some serious problems
2: you know you, you're so right and and you know i'm i'm fascinated by people and the way we work and the way we function and we need i think one thing we need to stop and understand is you know the most influential dominant part of your brain and my brain was a brain that evolved to help us survive and succeed on the savannah 200,000 years ago. And, and Steve Peters might call it your chimp. Um, Daniel Kahneman, his book, Fast and Slow, Thinking Fast and Slow, calls it your fast brain. And I kind of like touch on those things and go, let's just stop and understand. So this this fast brain, this chimp, it, 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 its primary purpose is about survival, noticing threats, avoiding threats. And if we could just understand that we do have this ancient hunter gatherer brain um and that actually we're not always logical rational in the way we do life but there are reasons why we behave the way we do that itself comes back to this the first e i mentioned earlier it can become enlightening to understand more about yourself and about other people and why we do react and why you Charles, have said you can catastrophize well that's not logical or rational but primitive emotional brain wants to protect you and whether that's protecting you from a virus or protecting you from being rejected it it can operate in a certain way and if we're not aware of that and don't know how to manage it it means we don't maybe fulfill our potential and get the most out of life
0: yeah so i remember reading something not too long ago you never know how you're going to react until you're in a situation but actually that's totally the wrong psychology to when approaching it you need to, if you can get an understanding of yourself and and what triggers you whatever it might be then the the potential reaction hopefully you can avoid that because it, it becomes
2: a bit more rational to use your word there sure i mean you i mean obviously stuart lancaster you mentioned at the start of the interview is has embraced sumo but um i've done a bit of work a few years ago with sir clive woodward and in some respects, he did exactly what you've just said, Giles. He actually got people to imagine a situation. Not you don't know how you're going to be, how you're going to react until you're there. Well, let's plan being there before it actually happens. So we're I don't know six points behind and there's three minutes on the clock, and we're in this part of the field. What are we going to do? Hmm. And and we talk about often about a um a post-mortem you know analyzing things when they've gone wrong but there's another strategy called a pre-mortem which is okay let's imagine for a moment that x is going to happen so there are various sports people particularly say like in rugby or in football where it's like well you know you know you can get you can undermine this player's performance because you know how to wind them up well if i was working with that club and that player i would get into come up with a strategy of actually anticipating and expecting that will actually happen, that people will say this about your mother or say this about you. and But learn almost like to have a pre-mortem, okay? If that happens, what are you gonna do? Mm. Rather than just rely on that fast, emotional, inner chimp brain to kind of like react in the situation, which can often mean you overreact, get sense off, and they've achieved, your opponent has achieved their objective.
1: Yeah, I think that, that pre-mortem is awesome. Um, And one of the things that um, probably allows me to try and be as calm in situations and kind of gain perspective as much as I can is trying to be kind of as disciplined as I can be. Um, And I think you see it online all the time. Like you've, you've got to get up at this time and you've got to do this X, Y, and Z in the mornings and you've gotta be kind of a robot for a little bit. But I was just wanted to ask you how disciplined you think we should be for that kind of pre-mortem to be effective and for us to kind of maximise our abilities to deal with situations when they do arise. Kind of how what discipline what how are you disciplined? What discipline would you kind of suggest that people may be struggling kind of
2: yeah? Yeah, sure. I think um Let's go back to what sumo's about um, and two of the things it's about is how to get the best out of myself and how to get the best out of life. Well, if you are, I, I'm going to say something quite controversial, particularly for someone who's labeled at times a motivational speaker, but I think motivation is, is, is um, overrated. And I'm a great believer um, in, in three words, which is feelings follow actions. So, what often happens, Max, is we don't like the word discipline because it, it, it stinks of it's it's hardening. It? You've got to be disciplined. Mm. It's not sexy. You know, like rules, you just want to go with the flow. Do you know what? Every flipping day, we, we live by a set of rules. I'm really glad when I was driving last week to Stratford upon Avon to do an event for some poultry farmers, believe it or not. I'm glad the rules are when you're in a particular lane on the motorway, you stick to that lane. You don't pick a lane, any lane and drift. And when you want to move from one lane to another, you indicate that that actually brings safety and security, helps develop trust. And yet we sometimes think rules or discipline is is not sexy. And it's almost like it's, uh, it can quash you, but actually it can liberate you. It can bring freedom. And so for me, and um, habits, creating good habits, you, want, you know, and the discipline of just saying to yourself, look, I'm not choosing to do this because I always feel like it. I'm, I'm choosing to do this because I've made a decision I'm going to do it, not because I feel like it. Now, I, in March 2020, before lockdown happened, I actually became quite ill with COVID-19. The when I say quite ill, the fortunate thing was I had no underlying health issues. And remarkably, despite the fact that it hit me pretty hard, particularly with fatigue and delirium, um, very high temperature, it never got to my um never got to my chest, never affected my breathing. So I never felt under any threat. The reason I'm telling you this is I wasn't probably fully well until say mid-April. But from mid-April, Until this day, when we're recording this, I have done every single day, including Christmas day, I do a minimum of 10,000 steps a day. Now, there are days when I've not felt like doing it, but that's my goal. You do it. And I'm a great believer in setting yourself little daily goals, little challenges. And I have something which people might find helpful. Um, I asked myself this, did you make the podium today? Every single day, I ask myself, did you make the podium? But the podium is bronze, silver, and gold, obviously. So my bronze, to make bronze, which I can tell you I've done, I've done 13,167 steps, but to make bronze, I've got to do 10,000. To make silver, I've got to do 15,000 steps. Or I've got to, I choose to. And to get gold, it's 20,000 steps. Now, this is for me, and I'm talking about steps. But what happens with some people is they set themselves some big goals, some big targets. They, they The discipline lasts for two or three days. Then they miss the goal one day, and they go, oh, I'm going to give up. I can't do it. But whatever context you want to think about, how do I get the best out of myself? Think about, did I make the podium? And actually think about targets as bronze, silver, and gold. Because I don't do every single day. Twenty thousand steps, but I probably make gold at least three times a week. And even if I didn't, as long as I made the podium every day, then I feel very satisfied by that. So come this April, I'll have gone two years, two consecutive years, achieving my goal of a minimum of ten thousand steps each day. Now that's about discipline. It's about creating healthy habits. It's not about always feeling motivated. So again, it's like well, what do you want to do? But perhaps more importantly, why do you want to do it? I'm 58 this year. I'm not got a sporting background. Um, Some people would just describe me as a middle-aged bloke. And I don't play sport, but I take seriously that my health and I want to take responsibility for it. So I do a little bit of exercise, but predominantly what I do is walking and listening to your podcast while I'm doing it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, awesome. I think... Quite a lot of people to that would say, "Oh, what if you, you almost touched on it there? If you, if you do miss the podium, say you did miss a day, what do you do? Kind of, you don't want to beat yourself up." And something me and Giles have talked about is never miss twice or don't miss twice. Just don't, yeah. don't. If you if you aren't able to do it one day, just make sure you do it the next and kind of build on exactly. that.
2: Exactly. And and you might you you know you might create your own frame of reference, don't you? So I could, I haven't done. But I might just say my goal is to maybe do 100,000 steps in a week or 70,000 and you can create it there. So even if you didn't do many one day, if your overarching goal is what you do in a week, you maybe just up it the next day. And I like what you've said, don't miss twice. And so for me, um, so far I have managed to do 10,000. That sometimes requires a bit of creativity because when I'm working away in the winter and and I'm based in some premier inn in an industrial state in Durham, other cities are available. Um, And you go, what am I going to do to try and get my 10,000 in today? But I make it happen. And if I decided for whatever reason, sometimes realistically I'm not able to, maybe I reframe it as how many steps will I do in a week rather than what I do each day so yeah it's about being flexible and kind conversations and if you miss today shut up and move on we, we, we overthink and we overanalyze and it's like just get on just get on so although it can be seen as aggressive can you see there are times when that little phrase say to yourself sumo just sumo now shut up and move on and I've got another principle called hippo sign is okay what are hippos doing in mud they wallow and it is okay to have a bit of wallow <laughs> time. My my thing is not, you know, if you just lost in the World Cup final or the Euros, I'm not going around to sort of an England footballers going, oh well, never mind on a scale of one to ten, where 10's death, where is it? The people need to digest the disappointment, even process their pain or sit with their sadness. That's all valid human emotions. You're having what I call a bit of hippo time. Point to remember is it's temporary, right? It's 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 part of your journey. Not your destination. It's a detour. And so I'm trying to give people lots of different tools and insights. And, and so you miss out on a goal. Okay, have a bit of hippo time. But in that process how you're feeling, acknowledge your emotions, digest your disappointment, as I've said, but then go, okay, I'm allowed to feel this way. There's no such thing, I believe, as positive or negative emotions. They're just emotions which we choose to label, but they can be valid. You know, if you've, you know, on the verge of breaking through to the first team and then you have a bad injury, of course you're going to be disappointed. You're going to be gutted. But it's learning to know that that's okay and that's valid. You know, I'm not part of the happy, clappy brigade. I'm into more what I'd call helpful thinking rather than just simply be positive thinking. You know, and helpful thinking is about asking yourself some good questions. So... I'm going on here. I mean, do you know what? I've been developing this stuff for 30 years. I'm still passionate about it. And the reason I'm passionate about it is because I've had so many problems in my life and challenges and issues with my relationship with myself, never mind with anybody else. And yet I found this stuff really helpful. It's not a cure, not a silver bullet, it's not a magic wand, but it is a toolkit that can really add value in helping you be a better you, and therefore be better for other people in your world as well.
0: Just seen, therefore, you've got an Apple Watch on,
2: haven't you? Do you know what? I'm too tight. It looks like one. It's thirty five quid off Amazon. Oh, well, it, it, it's, it's a right, good. But, it gives, but it, gives, it gives me. Yeah, it's nice that you think it's an Apple Watch, <laughs> but actually, it's not. The All reason right. I. Actually
0: reason i say that is because every month you get a challenge on your on on your apple watch right oh do
2: you No, i wouldn't so, do this you don't do that for 35 oh quid. God. so <laughs> i've had
0: every and every month this difference so it's like you know close your rings close your your exercise ring your your standing ring whatever it might be or well, then i had one a few months ago that was do something like whatever it equated to it was about 160 minutes of exercise a day every day because it it does averages so I, over the summer holidays I'm a teacher so I had loads of time to do loads of stuff yeah well I'm like shit I can't afford I I can't not hit this goal so then you're trying to find ways you know you're like training three times a day you're desperately trying to hit it and I wish we'd had this conversation then because I mean hey I hit the goal but by the end of that month I was absolutely buggered because I was so desperate to get there yeah
2: and I think I mean and it's great that you you still managed to do it but I think we can become a little bit obsessed and I think we need to try and achieve success, but maybe be flexible in how we, we get there. And also, whatever goal I'm pursuing has an impact potentially on other people close to you. So let's say, not say you are, but your own personal circumstances, let's say you're in a relationship or you, someone's listening and they're in a relationship, and maybe they've got children, Um, but I've got I've got to do my 160 minutes a day exercise and do my full-time job. It's like, fine, maybe you achieve that goal, but to put it bluntly, you piss off a few other people in the process. So I'm very much into holistic goal setting rather than simply thinking about just one aspect of your life because when you look at things almost like in a silo in one dimension, you don't appreciate the overall impact it can have on other areas of your life.
0: Yeah, I've certainly fallen victim of that. To, to, I think we all
2: have I certainly have gels which is why I came up with what I call the life blend model in my sumo book that rather than see everything's got to balance see it as when you're making a juice all the ingredients are important but you don't put equal amounts in but all the ingredients are important try and get the blend right rather than try and always think for this mythical destination of, of um, work-life balance because it doesn't exist but it does make people feel guilty because they don't achieve it. I'm saying, can you get the blend right? We haven't got time to talk about that, but something to access maybe in the book or your own learning from other sources.
1: For um, for me, I think a lot of people don't have those habits and they don't have that podium at uni. Um, for people starting up with that podium, kind of, ha- what would you suggest? be the bronze kind of like the baseline would it be start really really small and then progress or kind of just do something you enjoy every day or what kind of where would be the starting point for you
2: i think i mean it's argued that the brain is a lazy piece of meat ultimately that is constantly from a survival point of view remember back on the african savannah 200 years ago um we we want to conserve energy and so we look for the easy option which can sometimes be lazy and if i can get someone else to do the work for me then i'll get them to do it which is why the people who overcome that natural inbuilt maybe laziness can achieve so much so if you realize that maybe i don't feel particularly motivated um you know you suffer from um the seba syndrome can i be asked c-i-b-a it's like okay well maybe there would be a benefit of you trying to do something but I actually, not saying this is always appropriate with every situation, but in people in that situation, lower the bar. So it actually goes back to your point, Max. Maybe start small. Lower the bar because nothing motivates like success. So let's say, for instance, and I know you have a lot of sporty people listening to this podcast, but let's say you haven't got sporty people, but they, they know movement or some form of exercise. Would be really good for them. Well, maybe their bar is bronze is five thousand steps a day. Silver is seven and a half thousand steps a day. And gold is ten. Great. just make, make the podium.
1: Yeah, I also think <laughs> kind of when you're when you're building that, kind of make it as frictionless as possible make it as as easy as possible for you to be able to get that bronze. Um, if you're able to kind of put in kind of a, a habit or anything, that or buy something that's gonna cause you to do it, kind of make it as enjoyable and kind of frictionless as possible.
2: It's so true. I mean, the work of uh, BJ Fogg and James Clear with his book Atomic Habits yeah. is all about, why, why make it so, it's like, I need to w- rely on willpower to not eat chocolate. We're not have chocolate in the house and v- but all <laughs> of a sudden. But you've made it harder. And if you want to do something easy, like I've got a couple of light dumbbells um, you know, in, a, in my bedroom in front of a mirror. Um, so it's like, oh yeah, it's, a, it's, it's reminding me. I don't have to sort of remind myself. I've got, it's, it's frictionless. It's there. When I'm going for a walk in the morning, I've already got my clothes laid out the night before. I've already thought about which route I'm going to take and what time I'm going to set off so you're right actually we sometimes want to make things hard and it's only you know no pain no gain yeah well that's why loads of people quit um and if you sort of go okay maybe just to start with i'm going to lower the bar now is this appropriate advice for elite sports people trying to get to the next level no it's not don't cut the hedge with the lawnmower but if you are that person who kind of needs to get started What does the podium look like? What does bronze look like? What does silver look like? What does gold look like? Because then you're going to review that maybe in a month or three months time. And you're going to go, you know what? Now bronze looks like this. And and you maybe want to, you know, build it up. But our esteem is, is so kind of tied up with our perception of success. And when you're feeling better about yourself, there's a better chance you might well perform better as well so yeah start small and and focus on progress not perfection
0: paul it's been absolutely fascinating thank you so much for for giving up your time today um i i've got uh, pages of notes that i've written here it's actually i find myself listening back to the podcast and originally, it was because I, I wanted to do it to, to review. Now I'm listening because I'm like, I know I've missed stuff during the conversation that I want to hear back and and take on board. Um, I, I I absolutely love the sumo idea. I think it, you're, the fact that you can flex between the Look, you know, shh, do take a minute, mm-hmm. and that listen, pal, you've got to suck it up now and, and stop being so silly. I, I I really like that idea. I've actually spent since Stuart said it last week, I've had it written on my hand. Uh, and it's staying there next to my watch, so that every time I check the time, uh, it, it's just a gentle reminder that it's going on. Um, Brilliant. Yeah. Thanks again for coming on. Um, we appreciate yeah. how busy you are. So
2: no, well, no, I'm gonna. You're you're thanking me, but thank you for the opportunity because I hope that some. You know, i I made a decision. This is not. Oh, I'll fit you in. We're all working together to try and hopefully spread some good stuff that's helpful for people. I'm delighted to sort of work with you. And um, I get even more uh, sense of satisfaction if, you know, your listeners contact you or they contact me and go, do you know what? Something you said there really helped me. You know, that that's what it's all about. So it's not, I don't want to give the impression no one, I'm going to squeeze you in. I'm really busy. Yes, we can all have our priorities, but my priority is trying to get some of this stuff out into the lives of as many people as possible. So thank you to you two for giving me the platform to do so.
0: Oh, it's absolute, are, pleasure. absolute are you on, pleasure. Are you on social media? Do you, do you use Instagram? I am
2: indeed. I am indeed. So, if you're on either Instagram or Twitter, you can reach me at the Sumo Guy. So, hopefully, you are, and you'll tweet, and then I'll retweet. So, at the Sumo Guy. And if you want to just go to my website, which also then you get us a link to my YouTube channel. If people just go to thesumoguy.com. dot com, so sumoguy g u y dot com. And um, yeah, look forward to connecting with people in one way or
0: another. Brilliant. Thanks
2: again, Max.
0: Outstanding. Thanks ever so much for, for getting, getting Paul on. It's great to catch up. Good luck tomorrow with your game. Thank you. Um, and uh, thanks to all our listeners as always. If you've got any feedback or you want to get in touch, you can as always get us on Instagram at the dot connections podcast uh, and our email address is on there, as if you, on there as well if you want to get in touch. And uh, thanks again for listening.